Tonight, if you want to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7, that's where we'll be, Hebrews 7 tonight. I've even got pictures for you tonight. Yeah, keep you awake. <laughs> Something to look at. Lord, we thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing, the prayers that we've been able to pray, and then also this time in your word. And uh, give us ears to hear, fill us with your spirit, be our teacher and our counselor tonight, and we pray that uh, we'd receive everything you have for us, as Aaron prayed, that it would get into our hearts, that we'd understand it, not just hear it, not just read it, but understand it, God, as you've, uh, the writer here takes us deeper uh, beyond the basic doctrines of Christianity into some deeper issues. Help us to embrace those and not think they're too lofty or not important, but actually will bring us uh, into a, a, a more intimate walk with you. So God, that's what we want, that's why we come, that's why we take Wednesdays away from whatever else we could be doing, and uh, we set it aside for you. So Lord, uh, we're listening, in Jesus' name, amen. This order of Melchizedek is a, is a funny thing. Uh, we hear the main verses about it um, when he mentions it several times in scriptures. Then we don't dive into it, except in this book of Hebrews, he really gets into it because... It's important. It isn't just a character from the Old Testament, uh, a mysterious character from the Old Testament. It's actually a type um, of Christ. It's, it's meant to show us his role in our lives. We, we understand the basics. I, I was listening to our songs or reading the songs, and all of our songs are, are not identical, but boy, they, they, they keep it simple, you know. Uh, we plead the blood of Jesus. I don't know that any new believers even know what that means necessarily, you know. Um, the blood of Jesus washes away my sin. For anybody walking into a church and hearing that for the first time, that's, it's strange. It's strange verbiage to use, you know. Um, nobody wants to get blood on them. So to, to say I'm supposed to wash in it, you know. Well, our songs are designed to just remind us of the basics of faith. And Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, I sure would like to go deeper. I sure would like you to understand things beyond those things. Um, I read a, a comment recently that said that uh, most Christians are educated beyond their obedience. Meaning we don't need any more Bible studies. We need to just obey what we've already learned. And okay, sort of, except Paul certainly educated beyond everybody's obedience all the time, so I'm not so sure that's a correct quote or accurate. Um, the First Corinthian church was not the greatest church. They had a whole bunch of problems with obedience, and yet Paul still taught them beyond. You know, And so I think it's important. Uh, there's probably a lag and there's a gap between our obedience and our knowledge of God, but let's make that knowledge of God so far out there. And if we get 60%, yay, you know, um, but I still think we should learn and, and know these things. And so this, when Paul says, let's dive deeper, let's go beyond the basics of baptisms, uh, spiritual warfare even, let's, let's get into some of the deeper issues. For a lot of people, they'll never touch this. They'll never get to these places, and tonight we will. So I hope you understand how important this is, because when we study Melchizedek, we understand Jesus better. Knowing about him, being a fan of Jesus, uh, acknowledging his existence is far from understanding him. And that's what we want. I want to understand my faith. Working out our own salvation doesn't just mean believing on Christ for, for him, but beginning to understand how it works, why it works, and what the implications are. And so this chapter is amazing to me. He says, for this Melchizedek, the writer says, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So he brings up this priest of the Old Testament before the law. We get 
remember, that's what this book is for. It's written to the Hebrews who are uh, struggling with staying just with grace and mercy and forgiveness in the New Covenant, the New Testament. Um, and they're reverting back to and trying to layer. I mean, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They're trying to layer New Testament on top of Old Testament. And he's, he's really trying to get them away from that. So how does that apply to us who are mostly Gentiles in this room? I would say almost all. Okay, We don't have a problem with that Old Testament law, but don't we? I mean, but don't we? Is that not most of our arguments in the church about the law? Um, we try to layer ourselves as Gentiles because we hear about the law, we read about the law. We, none of us grew up in Hebrew school. None of us went to synagogue. None of us even participated in any of these things necessarily. None of the sacrifices, none of that. We never went to a temple, never went to a, a tabernacle, none of those things. And yet we read about them, and there's almost a longing in a lot of people's hearts to go there because they think, well, that's a deeper, more rich walk with God. There's so much there. Let's, let's go there. And somehow we think that'll make us more holy or closer to God, you know, by experiencing that. So we layer Jesus on top of this Old Testament. So the writer here is trying to take the Jews who the law was given to, not the Gentiles, and take them pre-law, before the law, bring them all the way back to Melchizedek, all the way back to Abraham, you know, way before Moses, way before the law was given, way before the Ten Commandments. He's saying this New Testament is reverting back, showing us it's going back to before the law and how much better it was. See, the law takes its cues from this walk with Abraham. And we're going to see a few of those cues tonight in the text. It's going to get a lot of its understanding and, and, and uh, depth is the wrong word. Um, most of its verbiage, most of its writings, all of the law takes its cue from this natural expression of the heart that Abraham had towards God. And so the writer here is saying it's so much better to have that natural expression from the heart as opposed to being told you're supposed to forgive people to want to forgive people. It's a huge difference. Well, how many times am I supposed to forgive? 70 times 7? Peter, you're asking the law question. Jesus says, I want you to stop thinking of how many and counting and keeping track and comparative and I want you to forgive people because you want to. Because I do, Jesus says. I do. I want to forgive people. It was my idea to come here. It was my idea to die on the cross because I wanted to. I want you to want to, not have to, not because. That's the danger of the law. That's the danger of not understanding it. There was a, recently I just saw uh, a sheriff deputy, not here, in, not in our area, but in another area, pull over a city cop who was going 80 and a 45. And there was this understanding that we can do what we want to do. And the, the deputy was struggling saying, no, you can't. That's wrong. I don't care who you are, what kind of light you have or what kind of badge. That thin blue line, that brotherhood, you, you broke. The most foundational rule here is we're here for the people. And you're treating it like the laws don't apply like these things. You should want to drive 45 in these areas for the safety of everybody and not think of yourself. But we post the speed limit signs because you won't. That was the whole point of the law. The people coming out of Abraham, Isaac, and into Jacob who by nature used to want to just worship God. You see this whole thing we're going to talk about here in chapter 7. This was, this was organic worship of God. Not prescribed, we have no record of it, have no idea, it's just happening, right? Like since Adam and Eve. But because they stopped wanting to and were trying to figure out what's, what are the requirements, what are the basics, what are the musts, where are my limits, God brought the law. God brought the law as a tutor to show them your heart is so dark, you don't even know where the line is. You don't even know what you're supposed to want to do versus what you're doing. 
And so he brought the law to show them. And they're supposed to look at the law and say, my goodness, my heart is so far from wanting to do any of these things, worshiping God with my heart, mind, soul, and strength, with everything that's within me, should come naturally to someone who loves God. Forgiveness, mercy, these things should all come naturally. It should be organic from my love for God and what he's done for me. It should naturally come out of me. A law was written. To, to show them as a tutor, you need a new heart. You need a new mind. You need Jesus Christ. You need a Savior because you're so far from where you're supposed to be. So the writer here is taking the Jewish people who are trying to layer Jesus and Christianity on top of the law and say, you don't understand. That was a thing. That was a middle thing that we put in there to show you that this was great with Abraham and this is great with me. And these are the things we're talking about. This is what we want to get to. So let me take you back to a better high priest, he says. You know who high priests are. You kind of been watching them. You know what they do. They're men like you. They're from the tribe of Levi. They get chosen. The high priest does his thing. He offers sacrifices for himself. We went over that three week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago sacrifices for himself, and then when he dies, we have to get a new guy, and he has to offer up sacrifices for himself for all of his sins. I'm telling you about a priest that's so much better that he never dies, and he never has to offer sacrifices for himself, like this guy, Melchizedek, okay, that we just mentioned here. Can you put that picture up of Melchizedek, of, of, the, of the next story here, this picture number one, sorry. Oh, no, that's a good one. That's what, we'll do that. This is the scene we're seeing here. An artist's rendition. They didn't have selfies back then, so this isn't an actual shot. I'm sure you knew that. Let's consider this King Melchizedek. Now, here's what it says about him. We don't know much, except he begins to describe who he is or what he, at least he represents. The, the, the two schools of thought are this is actually Jesus in the Old Testament showing up, a Christophanes, right? an appearing of Christ in the Old Testament, or a type. Someone, a figure, who is like Christ. Like Joseph is a type of Christ, but not a Christophanes. Not, not, not someone, not Christ in the Old Testament. He's, he, you know, he was betrayed by his brothers. He was raised, you know, you get the idea. Okay. Joseph's a type, and uh, some people think that. Because it says this, look what his name means. It means king of righteousness. Well, who else is named king of righteousness? It also says king of peace. Well, who else's name is king of peace? And then it says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. And so those who take that believe, well, that's him. That's got to be him. This guy has no, he just appeared, right? Well, the writer also could be saying, we have no documentation of any of these people. We don't have his mother or father. We don't have his genealogy for a reason. God is trying to show him as a type of Christ, okay? doesn't make any difference either way you can believe whatever you want i think it's okay to say it's jesus in the old testament great great that's the plain truth that's the that's what it reads perfect if you believe it's a type doesn't change the fact that we still need to pay attention to it right okay so that's what he's trying to teach them think about melchizedek don't think about all the high priests that you've been thinking about we're going to go way back to a high priest that was a high priest before high priests were cool the one so what's the story here? The story is in Genesis chapter 14. If you could turn to, show me that picture, one of Lot and Abraham, that other one, or they're looking over the land, that's it. Okay, so here's our scene. Abraham was told by God, his name is Abram right now, by the way, told to leave his country, leave his family, and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to tell you, and he lands in Canaan, okay? And he walks around Canaan, which is going to be future Israel, once they get there, okay, but it's it's not there yet. Okay, so they're 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 there, and Lot comes with them. That's his nephew, okay, and that's the picture. Well, Lot and Abraham, Abram, were doing very well. Okay, um, cattle just really ram crazy, crazy wealthy is the idea. Um, so much, um, some of the wealthiest men of the world, probably the wealthiest men of the world at the time. Well, they were running into issues, overlap, 
You know, Lot's herds were getting in the way of Abraham's herds and Abraham's herds and so on. And there was begins to get scuffles going, okay, between the, the guys that were the herdsmen. And so Abraham says, let's not have this between us like this. Why don't you just choose? Let's just divide. We're going to have to. We're too big to be mingled together like this. We can't, we can't do it. You choose. You want to go to the valley or do you want to stay up here? I'll take whatever you don't want is the idea. And so Lot says, I'll take that beautiful, green, watered area. Now, this is a side note. Really doesn't have much to do with the teaching. But I bet that's what the arguments were about. Because the employees are often like their bosses. They just are. That, a CEO breeds whatever they are. That's, that's who the people are because of the CEO. You know what I mean? The, 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 the employees follow so if Abraham's heart was, look, just have it. Do whatever you want to do. My guess is his herdsmen are very similar to that. And Lot saying, I want the best for me, I bet his herdsmen were like that too. And that could have been the conflict. That probably was what it was. Hey, you guys found water? You know, uh, That's our water. Okay, fine. Take the water. We'll move over here. What? There's water over there? We want that water too. You know, Just that. Okay, no more of this. So they split. So verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 14. Now, when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he's down here. A war breaks out in this valley, Sodom, Gomorrah, and all these kings. You have to read the whole chapter to get the story. And he's up there in the rocks because he chose to go down there into this well-watered area. Well, that put him in harm's way. Take note of that, by the way. Not everything that's green and well-watered is worth your while. He does it. And so a war breaks out, and he gets taken captive and Abraham hears about it. Abraham has a 300-man a standing army. <laughs> That's wealthy. I mean, I've seen some wealthy guys before with a crew, a team of bouncers and thugs that follow them around. Just watch Elon Musk or any of these guys that walk around. They have 20, 10 to 15 guys. He's got 300. So you, can, you get the wealth thing here, you know. Um, they probably did other things as well, but they were trained and could go to war. So these guys knew what they were doing. He heard about him being taken captive. He armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot, brother meaning countryman, it's actually his nephew, Lot, and his goods as well as the women and the people. So he got everything back. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Interesting. Got communion almost in the old. You know, it makes you, it gives you an appreciation for what was actually happening at the Last Supper. As this Melchizedek is sitting there breaking bread and giving wine. Because it's never made sense. If you've ever thought about the Passover, why isn't he talking about the lamb? This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this lamb, do the. What's with the bread and the wine? Why did he switch to that? Why is he not talking about the main course of the, and the point, which was the lamb? You know, probably pointing them to this. Melchizedek brings out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God Most High before the Levites, before Aaron. Before the law. And he blessed him, Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him, Abram gave him a tithe or a tenth of all. He's going to talk about this a little bit. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, but when we debate in the New Testament, how much am I supposed to give? What does the law require? And, and here's the answer for those that don't want to tithe. Well, that was the law. We're not, we're, we're not under the law anymore. No, no, no. We're before the law. We're back to Abraham. And Abraham, from a willing heart, from a joyful heart, from a thankful heart, from no law telling him what to do, said, here, here. My struggle isn't and shouldn't be our struggle. How much? Gross, net, do I have to? I mean, do I? Why don't I want to? Why don't I want to? Why isn't it natural for me? What, 
What holds me back from that? And it's not a money thing. It's a heart thing because you can apply this to everything. You can apply this to forgiveness like we've talked about, to mercy, to worshiping with our song, with our voices, to surrender, period, of our lives. Why don't I want to? What's causing that? And it's just a red flag for us. That's what the law was there for, to show us, look what Abram did naturally, and you guys have stopped. Now I have to institute a law to show you your dark heart. And now Christ has come and saying, yes, he's fulfilled the law completely in him. It's supposed to point us to this and bring us to this place. I don't want a contract. I don't want a legal obligation. And that's why we always say, I don't want religion. I want a relationship with you. Abram had a relationship. He sees this guy probably the first time they've met. And he just knew instinctively. As this guy pronounces a blessing on him, God bless you. May God bless you. He goes, here. You know, it's just so natural for him. Such a beautiful moment. Verse 4. Now, consider how great this man was, this Melchizedek, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he who, uh, whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, what he's trying to get across is your argument that Jesus might not be the high priest because he's of the tribe of Judah isn't valid because neither was Melchizedek. You're saying you're looking for, he can't be a high priest and a king because he's, a, he's not a Levite. And, and I'm telling you, or the writer here is telling you, yes, he can because Melchizedek was a high priest before Levites were cool, you know, before they were even invented, before God even gave them that, before they were born. And so when they say in his loins, try not to be too gross or too graphic here, but you get it, right? Abraham's DNA carried on through many generations past, obviously, from generation to generation, until we get to the Levites. He says, well, the Levites were in Abraham, technically, when he gave a tithe to this Melchizedek. That means that they are subservient. They're under Melchizedek. Okay, you get it? You can see why Paul's like, can we go beyond the basics? I want to talk about some neat stuff like this. Because don't you already understand better? When we get beyond the basics and trust people, ourselves, you know, with more than just the basic doctrines, we begin to understand and un unlock more understanding about our walk. Nothing new, just deeper. It's just deeper. It's like, oh, that makes so much more sense now. And I want that. I need clarity. I need to boil it down to the least common denominator. I need to get it all the way down because I want to know the nuts and bolts and how it works. I used to do that to my parents' uh, electronics all the time. I could never put it back together, but boy, I figured out, you know, there were 475 pieces to that radio, you know, and I kind of understood how it was working and never worked again after I got my hands on it. When it comes to my walk with Jesus, I don't want to analyze it to death. Don't get me wrong. But just as my love for my wife has grown over 30 years, 30 years this year, it, I want that to be happening. I don't want to, you know... I've learned more about Jenny since we've moved to that farm than I've than I learned probably in the first, I don't know, 27 years of our marriage, you know. I'm seeing her in different ways and, and doing different things, and and I've seen her I've just seen her in a whole new um what do you call it? Um scene. What's the I don't know what the right word is there. What's that? Yeah, environment. Just a whole new environment. It's a whole new uh terrarium that I get to see her in. It's like, oh, wow, look at, wow, so that's what Jenny does, you know. It's more, same person. I just said, she's not, she hasn't changed. She's the same person, but I know her better. And that's what Christ is trying to do. Because I want to I show you, I, you don't know the half. You don't know the half. And I want to know the, the whole. And so that's what he's, that's what he's doing here. So he's trying to explain to the Hebrews as they think they're being more holy by going to this Levitical priest. So he says, no, no, no. 
You've got Jesus, who's of the order of Melchizedek, and he's way better, way better than the Levites and, and, and those of the Arianic priesthood. Way better. You're not going back to anything. You're regressing away from the better, is the idea. It's how much better. Consider how great this man was, who received a tithe from Abraham, which means he received a tithe from Isaac, which received a tithe from Jacob, and all of Israel has tithed through their patriarch father, Abraham. You see? Neat. So, uh, now beyond all contradiction, verse 7, the lesser is blessed by the better. So, every time someone lay hands on somebody to bless them, it's, it's, never, it's never Bo laying hands on dad. Okay, Lord, I pray that you hear me and bless my father. No, 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 it's the other way around. I bless Bo. It goes down. That's how it works. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And so that would be mind-blowing to them. Maybe not for us. But it would be for them, because Abraham is the father of our faith. He's like, no, 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 Melchizedek blessed him. There's someone even greater than Abraham. And I'm telling you, Jesus, you see, is Melchizedek, or a type of. He's better. So, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. We've, we've hit on that, obviously. Okay, we've hit on that. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Verse 11. Therefore, the reason I shared all that with you, he says, therefore, because of what we just went over, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? If that was so great, if that was perfect, if that was God's final solution for the world, the Arianic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, why then did we need another? And here's what he means, okay? It's from Psalm 110. Psalm 110, as you begin to understand the Bible, and you know it, most of you do, but some of you may not, Psalm 110 is written way, way, way after all of this, way, way after the law, way, way after Israel conquers the land. Okay, it's, 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 it's way after that. After the Levitical priesthood has been in function for you know, hundreds of years, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So he's prophesying about this person. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn, I will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now they would read that prophecy, Psalm 110, after the Levitical priesthood was there, and they're saying, now who is this guy that's going to be of the order of Melchizedek, who's going to break our, 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 our cycle, our chain, you know? Levite, Levite, Le no, actually Melchizedek, Levite, 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 Levite. Then this new priest of this order of Melchizedek, he's going to bypass all of this. Who is this? So the writer here says, if the Levitical priesthood that you're going back to was so great, why do we have this prophecy from God himself telling us about this new priest? It's, 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 it's wonderful that he takes the time to explain this to them. And it's, it's wonderful if we can get this in our hearts because every one of us will have that tendency. Um, I'm seeing it in some of the most well-used most popular, I don't even want to say popular, I think they had really good intentions and God's hand of blessing and anointing was upon their life. I'm seeing these great men of God, great Bible teachers, great shepherds of the people of God, almost getting bored with their level of grace, mercy, and Jesus, New Testament stuff, and they're going to something, I, I need more, I need candles, I need rituals, I need liturgy. I need structure. I need ceremony. They, they feel like they're missing out and they want to go to something deeper, they think. It's not. Because they never went 
to these deeper conversations that we're having tonight. That's why I do this. That's why God has us go verse by verse. Because once you have this layer of protection on you, this understanding in your heart, you won't have that desire to to leave what God has given you the very best and go back to something that's inferior. You won't have that desire. God is putting a layer of protection on us tonight, saying, no, no, you can't do better than Jesus. And the writer here is begging these Hebrews, please, you cannot do better than Jesus. He is what everybody was pointing to. They were nothing compared to him. Don't leave him. And so we're being protected tonight. That's the point of it. If there was a better, why is there this new order of Melchizedek according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood, verse 12, being changed of necessity, there is also a change of law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. This Melchizedek is not from any tribe, neither is Jesus of that Levitical tribe. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. He's acknowledging it. He's saying it out loud. I know that nobody ever talked about Judah having a priest coming out of it. I understand. I'm telling you. I'm teaching you. This has been prophesied in Psalm 110. This is one of those mysteries, but it's, a, it's always been in the Bible, but we've never understood it, and here it is for us to see perfectly. It's right there for us. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Forever. He's never going to die. That was the problem with the Levitical priests. They would die eventually. And now we have to get a new one. And we have to go through the ritual and make him a new one. But he's going to die too. And we have to find another guy. You know. And we've been doing this for a long time. But it's all been pointing to the one that would never die. To the intercessor for us. The one who's always going to ever live to make intercession for us. He'll never die. We never have to wonder. When we understand this, when we all understand this in this room tonight, your salvation gets so locked in. The one who said, I died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead will never ever die. I have you in my hand. Nothing can separate me from you. I have you. And the Bible tells us he's going to live forever. My salvation is forever. I don't ever have to worry about it. I am locked in him. As long as I'm in Christ, I am locked in salvation. I never have to worry about him dying and me hoping to convince the next guy. Nope. We're locked. That assurance, that confidence, knowing that my future is secured, I don't have to wonder about that anymore. You know what it's like when something gets lifted off your back as far as a responsibility goes? You know what it's like when harvest is done? Oh. You didn't realize you were carrying that tension with you this whole time, but when it's gone, all of a sudden you're like, I had no idea how awesome today feels now that it's over with, you know. It doesn't have to be harvest, it could be anything. I have those days. I have some closings on some houses where I'm like, yeah, this is going to... When it's done, I just sit back at home, you almost want to weep. You're like, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that's done. I mean, I, it was great. I, but I was so anxious and worried about the thing the whole time. But now that it's gone and done and over and it's in the rearview mirror, I can rest. He wants us to have that salvation so sure it's done. I don't have to work. I don't have to... I don't have to maintain. I don't have to continually convince. I don't have to convince myself. I don't have to convince him. I can rest in this. I can truly have my rest, a Sabbath, forever in Christ. And now I can focus on people. It's so hard. When you have an, uh, here's an example. When you're sick or you have an illness that's debilitating, you know, I'll try to think of one that that I, I don't want to go to cancer or anything horrible like that because those are, 
Um, when I have the flu, oh, when I have the flu, I really don't think about anybody else but myself. I want to. I still love everybody else, but I got to deal with this first. I'll be out in a minute, you know. You know, I got to deal with me. Some people walk their whole life with Jesus like that. I can't focus on anybody else because I have no idea where I stand. I'm not sure of it. And so you wonder why they don't serve or why they can't forgive or why they can't bless or they can't reach out or they can't do whatever. It's because they're just not sure about themselves. I'm still trying to figure out my own salvation, you know, kind of thing. He wants to so set that aside, not aside, but completed so that we can. It's a healthy church that can do that. It's my job as a pastor to teach you that, to make sure you understand the completion that's taken place in your life by believing on Christ so that we can serve one another, so we can love each other easily, <laughs> willingly, not because it's for salvation, but because we just get to, you know. Verse 18. For on the one hand, there is an annulling, very important word, of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. That's a word, I guess. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. That word annulling is a big word. It's as if it never happened. When you get a marriage annulled, it's as if the marriage never took place. That's a horrible example. I wish I didn't have to use it, but that's how we use that word most of the time. When we hear the word annul, you automatically think of a marriage perhaps that got annulled. And there's usually a time thing involved in that. Um, you know, within three months, you can annul that wedding. That didn't really happen. We can just ignore it, take it off the books. You're not really divorced. It just never took place. If anything, that gives us an understanding of what he's talking about. It is God's idea to write this verse 16, or verse 18. For on the one hand, there is an annulling. The New Testament annuls. There's nothing to go back to. It annuls the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitable. It was perfect. There was nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with the speed limit sign. It's wonderful. It's bright. It's shining. It tells us exactly, but it does not help the driver. It doesn't do anything. None of the law helped people come closer to Christ. It only showed them the gap, the lack. It showed them their sin. It couldn't do what God wanted to happen. I want you saved. The law can't do that. All it can show you is that you need to be saved. So now I'm bringing in the second. On the other hand, the one hand is it annulled the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. Here's the other hand. Here comes Christ. Christ came to do what the law can't do. The law can show you that you need Christ. He needs a Savior. I'm bringing in Jesus because he's the one that can actually bring you to me. I don't want you to try to gain access to heaven by the law. You can't. It can't make you perfect. It can't help you. All it can do is point the finger. That's all it can do. And it does a wonderful job and should, and that's what it was intended to do. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. It just can't fulfill God's heart for you. It cannot bring you to him. I don't care. If we have a church, which we don't, thank goodness. But if there's a church or if there's a body of believers, and we can, we're the sum of our parts, I know that, who can do nothing but point the finger, we do not fulfill Christ's desire. Who can't do that? A law-filled church, a legalistic church, all it does is compare, jockey for position, point the finger. It can never bring people closer to Christ, which is God's heart, which is what he wants. The law does what it's supposed to do. Let's us all know that we're equally lost. We're equally distant from God. 
On the other hand, we have Christ that brings in a better hope through which we draw near to God. To point out the flaws without pointing out the solution is evil. It's wicked. It's mean. It's mean-spirited. I don't tell people they're wrong or that they're sinners because I want them to feel bad and want them to know how far law. We're, we're telling them that so that they have that place in their heart where they cry out to the one who can, the other hand. I want you to get to the other hand, Jesus Christ, who can draw you near to God, a better hope. So in context, what's the writer saying? Hebrews. Every Hebrew, listen to me, he says. You're going to the wrong hand. It's not better. It can't do for you that you want. It, it can't draw you closer. Francis Chan, it can't draw you closer. The rituals, the ceremony, the liturgy. You have everything in Christ. You're complete in him. Now, by all means, explore that completeness. Find out what that means. Find out how complete you are in him. But don't set it aside as, well, I fully understand the New Testament, therefore I've got to find something more meaningful in my life. No, you haven't even scratched the surface of what Christ has done. So beautiful. You can hear him begging. Well, I love this chapter. You can hear him begging with a heart, empathy, passion, love for these people. Verse 20, And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they having become priests without an oath, the Levites, but he with an oath by him who said to him, and this is from Psalm 110 again, the Lord has sworn, I will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so God himself makes a promise, an oath. Is he going to keep his oath? Absolutely. Do we keep our oaths? Sometimes. But when God makes an oath, he keeps it. And so the writer here says, God swore by himself that Jesus is going to be a high priest forever, and he won't relent. Wow. By so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. And that's the exclamation point of the whole chapter right there. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. To the uttermost. There isn't a sinner out there that he can't reach, that he can't save. There are some pretty awful people out there, and I don't even know how to say, I can't even say some of the things you know, there's a big thing on child trafficking right now that seems to be the, the thing today because it's a big deal and very important. And, and some of the things um, that they do to the kids, and, and it's, it's, it's almost, uh, I just can't get my mind around it. Every single day, five to ten times a day for seven years. What? How do you, how do, that, that can't be. That's got to be an exaggeration. They're just trying to get, you know, no. And this is a tough thing for me to say. But even the person perpetrating that, the gates of heaven are wide enough that if they receive Christ, they can be forgiven for all of that. As much as I don't want them to be. And I say that uh, at, I'm at fault for feeling that way. I don't want you to know that. Because I suspect most of us in this room struggle with, would struggle with that. And yet, for the person sitting in this room or close to us in our family, who doesn't even come close to that kind of evil in their lives, it, it, it's, it's just wide open. Salvation is available. The forgiveness is deep. He desires nobody to perish. I don't have that heart. I've got some people in my, they could perish. I wouldn't mind being a part of the perishing squad for some of these child traffickers. I have to admit that. And maybe it comes to that sometimes because they won't repent and they won't stop. And I don't have a problem with that at all. But when he says he can save to the uttermost, he's not only speaking 
He's just speaking to, to, to everybody so that nobody has an excuse like, I don't think God can forgive me for the things I've done. He absolutely can and says he will. The same one that swore an oath says this. And my heart needs to line up with this. That's what I mean by going deeper. You know why that's important? I mean, I think we do. We all know. I toggle and struggle, I'll confess it, between taking care of evil one way and taking care of evil the biblical way. I do. I struggle with that. I think a lot of us do because we're capable and we, we, we've got ideas. The, the greatest thing you can do to prevent evil and I'm not a pacifist at all, don't get me wrong, is to save a man and his family. That's the most important thing I can do. I'm not, women too, but the most important thing I can do, if there's a family unit, is to save that man, to lead him to Christ. Because everything stops then, whatever's going on at home, Whatever evil's in his mind, whatever he's doing online, whatever he's doing every place else physically, stops because he's, he's gripped by Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and grace and mercy. And he begins to act like the man of God. He, and that spreads to the wife who can't believe that she never thought this would happen. And she now believes there's got to be a God in heaven if that man can change. And the children now see a full family unit. I mean, it just goes exponentially as opposed to the other way of dealing with evil, which would be wrong, just take him out. That's not what God wants, nor is it the best option. It's not the most effective. Salvation has come to this house. And his friends see it. And now they're getting saved. And now we've got another disciple who's exponentially leading more people to Christ in his own sphere of influence that I have no access to. And it goes on and on. It's the most important thing we can do is tell our friends and family about Jesus Christ. It's the most proactive. It's the most effective thing we can do to stop evil. To stop, You want to stop human trafficking? By all means, have those squads that go out and bust and do what they're supposed to do. May God bless them with safety and wisdom. And may they have victory. But I don't do that. I wouldn't even know where to look. I wouldn't even know where to start. But I do know that things happen in our county, in our cities, secretly, hidden. That all I have to do is tell some guy at Walmart about Jesus, and I've probably had a pretty bit of impact somewhere in this county. And stopped and prevented. Who knows what? It's so important to get that in my mind. God's way is so much better than the fleshy way of dealing with evil. So much better. Now, um, uttermost. Okay, verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests the Levitical priesthood, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the, of the oath um, which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Now, I didn't hit this because we're short on time, but I did want to read just one scripture. It's a... Uh, not even a scripture, really. It's, it's about what an intercessor is. It says he ever lives to make intercession for us. An intercessor, it's a noun, a person who intervenes on behalf of another, especially in prayer. Mick taught on prayer while I was gone. I think we all feel that sense that praying is a good thing. We should do more of it. Everybody acknowledges that we don't pray enough. Um, I'm here to encourage us as well to do that, but to drive home the point at how, how, how great a war tool that is. How wonderful it is to uh, affect change in our communities and in our homes and in our loved ones' lives by praying. 
fervently, purposefully, pointedly, as the Lord gives you that. Uh, remember we talked about on Sunday learning to develop our senses, you know, spiritual senses. When you're praying, you'll start be having those spiritual senses. God will start going, oh, I love this. We're praying. Okay, we're in the spirit. Pray for that person. Pray for that person. Pray for that person. And people's names, minds will start coming to you. And be like, I don't know where all this is coming from, but I lift up Joan from fifth grade, you know, or, you know, I, I lift up, I lift up uh, Jeff, you know, uh, I don't know what Jeff needs, but Jeff came to mind. I pray for Jeff, give him safety, give him, give him wisdom, give him whatever it is that he needs right now. You know, you begin to pray and you're actually fighting. If Jesus ever lives to do intercessor, to be an intercessor for us, we ought to be following in his footsteps. Same way. To intercede for us, for each other. Would you put those two pictures up? Those are my favorites. I used to think he was thanking God for his bread, but that's probably a snack because he's about to dig into the scriptures over there, I think. You know, he's praying. And then the woman, if you can. That's just a snack so she can keep reading and studying and spending time. I love those pictures. Anyway, intercession. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for this chapter. Thank you for Melchizedek. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our high priest. We, we need no other. We want no other. Um, thank you for the security that we have in you. I pray that you'd help us to be at rest with our salvation in you, Jesus. I pray that you'd help us to be effective and fervent in our prayers for one another, in our leading others to Jesus, to talk about the gospel with those around us, to do war. If we don't know what's going on in the darkness, we don't have to. All we have to do is shine light. And the, the darkness will be dispelled. And so God, help us to be bright and shiny, talking, not just in our example of our walk with you, but with words telling people the gospel, telling people the good news of what your son's done and that they can have hope and they can be forgiven and they can break the cycle and they can step out of the darkness and into the light. God, help us to lead people to you, actively seeking those in the darkness so that they can be set free, God. I pray that you give us opportunities this week to do it and I pray that we would have the boldness to actually open our mouths and lead someone to Jesus this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.